Well, imagine, if you will, you walk into a room in your house, and uh, there are your children. They're all on electronic devices. I know that's hard to imagine, but just work with me. Uh, one is texting somebody, the other's listening to music, the other's playing video games. And you go in and you say, listen, I really need your attention. What I'm about to tell you and, dis- and instruct you to do is very, very important. Are you listening to me? Yes, dad, we're listening to you. And then you tell them, here's what's going down. Our house is a pigsty. It is disgusting. It is dirty. I'm not going to lie. It's really, really, really messy. And we've got folks who are coming over, guests coming over later that we want to impress. And if we have any chance of fooling them into thinking that we're clean people, we've got to start right now cleaning this up. And so you begin, to, you begin to delegate. You begin to say, you, you go clean the kitchen. You go clean the living room. You go clean the bathroom. Then when you're done, I want you to all clean your bedrooms. Am I understood? Yes, sir. All right, let's go. And then you walk out the door and you realize that there's nobody behind you. Nobody's come. You go back into the door. You go back into the room. And the kids are still doing exactly what they were doing before on their electronic devices. And so you sit there and go, I don't understand did, did I not just make myself clear? Were you guys listening to what I was saying? Yes, Dad, we listened to what you said. But why aren't you doing what it is that I asked you to do? And then one of them says, oh, I, 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 we get it. We thought you just wanted us to listen to the instructions. We had no idea you wanted us to actually do what you were asking us to do. Now, that might seem ridiculous, might be far-fetched, not for some of us, but might be far-fetched to a lot of you, but yet this is precisely what happens in the relationship between God and his people on a daily basis. God continues to speak to us through the word of God, but yet there are so many of God's people who are eager to listen, but they do not do what he's instructed us to do. Jesus knows this, and he knows it well. In the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus came down from a mountain. He gathered together a large group of disciples along with a multitude of people, and he began to heal everybody who had any kind of spiritual or physical affliction. And once he had gotten all of their undivided attention, he began to give them instructions. And we began to unpack those instructions week by week over the last few weeks, and, and he's instructed us to do some really difficult things. He's instructed us to persevere under persecution He's instructed us to love our enemies. He's instructed us not to judge the heart intentions of another people, of of, of other people. And, And so now that he's coming to the end of the sermon, he does what we would expect a preacher to do. He calls for a response. And if you've ever wondered what the difference is between a Bible teacher and a Bible preacher, it's this. A Bible teacher proclaims the truth, bears the truth for all to see, but the preacher, he comes along and he calls us to respond and to obey the truth that we've ultimately heard. Jesus was the consummate teacher, preacher. And so here at the very end, he wants us to know this one truth that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so to encourage you and I to do what he's been telling us to do all this time, he provides two very short parables. The first deals with fruit bearing, and the second one deals with foundation building. We're going to spend the most of our time on that first parable. Then uh, at the end, when we get to the last one, we're just going to use it to be able to sum up our thoughts. So let's look at fruit bearing, first of all, beginning in verse 43. Follow along, if you will. Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. I mentioned previously, actually just two weeks ago, that when God created the world, he implemented certain universal laws. They're fixed and they are sure. For example, the law of gravity. If you step off a bridge, a very high bridge, there is zero chance you levitate. You do understand that. There's 100% chance that you fall below. We were driving the other day across into Jacksonville over the big bridge over there uh, down 295. And as we're driving over, or 9A, we're driving over it, my youngest daughter goes, ooh, I don't like this. I'm scared of heights. And I said, it's not heights you're afraid of. It's gravity that you fear is what I was telling her. I don't think she understood, but, but that's the key. These laws are fixed. They are certain. You can count on them. They happen every time unless God chooses to perform a miracle and supersede those laws. They're his laws. He's allowed to do it. But these laws are found in other places of our world, like in the area of agriculture, in the law of sowing and reaping. What we sow, we are going to reap. That's true in measure. That is, if you, the amount, if you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. If you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. But it's also true in kind. What you sow ultimately is going to be what you get back. Jesus says here, he says, look, if you end up sowing seeds for a fig tree, it's ultimately going to produce what? Figs. You can answer that. Figs. That's right, okay? If you plant orange seeds, right, and, and you're going to get an orange tree, which is ultimately going to produce what? Or, oranges. You guys are so bright. How do you know that? Because it's self-evident that it always is kind to kind. Uh, that's, that's how this whole sowing and reaping thing works. Uh, I've got a lemon tree in my backyard. Somebody from the church uh, who knows a lot about agriculture and everything said, hey, this is the kind of tree that you want. And, and he's he goes, if you want lemons, this thing is going to be produce you lemons. Well, this thing is a monster in the backyard. I've got to take a chainsaw to it to be able to beat this thing back. And, and, and if I were to take you right now to the back of my house and I were to, to show you the tree and I go, that's my fruit tree. You would probably go, oh yeah, what kind of fruit tree is it? Because there's no fruit on the tree. Now, when it begins to bloom and those, uh, those, those uh, lemons begin to ripen, and I take you out there and you see all those lemons and you go, wow, that's a lot of lemons. What kind of tree is it? If you do that, I'm going to doubt your intelligence because it's self-evident. It is this fruit demonstrates the nature of the tree. That's how we know what the tree is like. So a good tree produces good fruit. Bad tree is ultimately going to be, produce bad fruit. And Jesus' point here is what is true for trees is also true for people. Now look at verse 45. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what comes out of us, specifically our actions, our attitudes, and specifically as he emphasizes here, the speech that comes out of our mouth ultimately reveals what is in our heart. Our heart is at the center of who we are. It, it, it reveals what we're all about. Really, it reveals our true self. And so what we understand is that even though we can understand that, that, that if things are coming out that are evil or wicked or sinful, then we know that there's sin within our heart. If what's coming out is good, then we know that there is good in our heart. But we know that this teaching, by the way, you hear it in the church, but this is not what a secular culture teaches. 
A secular culture, the, the world assumes the goodness of people over wickedness. They assume that a person is much better inwardly than what they do outwardly. This is evidence and evidence in, in the words of a mother whose heart is broken because her son has been rebellious. There's a son, he's rebelling against her and, and against everybody else, every authority figure. He's causing all kinds of pain to himself and to everyone else. And this mother who has, has been hurt by this very child with tears coming down her eyes will swear that her son is a good boy with a good heart. And the Bible says it's just not true. J.C. Ryle Jesse Ryle speaks to this misunderstanding when he writes, let us not give way to the vulgar notion that although men are living weak, wickedly, they have got good hearts at the bottom. Is the general tone of a man's communication carnal, worldly, irreligious, godlessness, or profane? Then let us understand that this is the state of his heart. If in general, the general tone of somebody's life of what they do and what they say is completely devoid of God, of God's word, of God's will, of the things about God and who he is. It's lacking praise of God and obedience to God. Guess what? His heart is clearly, according to Jesus, is godless. His activity in his speech is godless because his heart is ultimately godless. And so what do we do with this as believers in Jesus Christ? Do, do, do believers not struggle with sin? Of course we do. We sin many times and in many ways. But the key is this, is that it's not the general tone of our lives. Sinfulness is not the general tone. In other, in other words, a Christian can never be defined ultimately of who they are by, a, by sin or a particular sin. An example of this is when Jesus says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous, the unrighteous, Paul writes, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen to this. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you read that and you don't understand the context, this can drive fear in your heart because you said, I am some of those things. I, I've failed and I've committed some of those sins that are there. But what Paul is trying to write is we're not talking about people who fall into sin. We're talking about people whose entire life is characterized by these sins. A believer certainly commits sin and sometimes egregious sin, but it's because, and what it teaches us is that when it begins to be exposed, it teaches us that even though our hearts may have very well been regenerated by Christ, that guess what? We still struggle with sin within us. It's revealing that, that those old remnants of sin still remain. And because our actions and speech are always rooted in the condition of the heart, then notice this, we can never really excuse away our behavior, can we? In other words, when we do something, it's actually us doing it. You, you see this with sports figures, well-known sports figures. Uh, you know, people love them and they adore them and they think they're the greatest thing in the world. And then they do something really sinful, really egregious, really embarrassing. And when he gets up and apologizes, it doesn't even sound like an apology. In fact, it doesn't even sound like he's the one who did it. He gets up and he tells everyone, everybody who really knows me knows that this is not me. 
Everybody knows that this is not really in my character. And so what he's doing is he's trying to deny that he's actually guilty of what he was ultimately caught doing. It's like he's talking about somebody else, not himself. And if we're not denying the sin that has been exposed, our our sinful heart that has been exposed by our actions and our speech, then what happens? Then we, uh, if we don't deny it altogether, then we try to pass it on to somebody else. We blame somebody else. Uh, you've heard these or perhaps even used phrases like this before. Well, he made me mad. That's why I did what I did. Well, she, she hasn't said, uh, she, she, if she hadn't said that, then I wouldn't have responded in the way that I did. Do you see the difference? A person is either naturally saying what came out of me is not really who I am or what came out of me, it wasn't really found in my heart. It was caused by someone else. And one author begins to teach on this, Philip Ryken. And he says, if we're really going to be honest the way Christ is teaching here, we'd respond completely in different ways. He would say, we'd respond this way when we sin against somebody else and we're caught in our sin. We would say, you know, that really is what I'm like. I'm just embarrassed because usually I'm much better at hiding it. That's what we, that would be the reality of really where we are. It's not you, it's me. I, I, I know I said that you made me angry, but really it is because I am so angry that I treated you in the way that I do. Church, we need to understand that if there are sinful speech coming out of our mouth, sinful actions in which we are ultimately committing, it is not, it is not because of something somebody else is doing or the pressures around us. It is because there is sin within our heart. In fact, I would say this, I would, I would say, and hopefully this will sum it up, is understanding that being tired, stressed, overwhelmed, overworked, underpaid, and even mistreated by others are not the causes of your sin and mine. They are only opportunities that reveal the sin within our hearts. They're not the cause, it's the opportunity that shows exactly what we're all about and what sin still remains. You know, I thought long and hard this last week of how I would try to take this and try to apply it to our particular context. And I began to think that I think that COVID and I think that tensions within our own culture, political tensions, um, also with, with, with the election and different things that were happening with all of that, as you begin to look at that, and it's been a tough year, would you admit? And it seems to be spilling over in 2021. I loved how everybody was like, I can't wait till the new year, as though everything that crazy stops at that moment, right? But we woke up to a whole new year of crazy is what we did. And so they think it's going to stop, but we wake up. And, and let's, let's be honest, I think it's weighed heavy on all of us. I think it's weighed heavy on all of us. I think it's been extremely difficult. I think it's done all kinds of things to our emotions and our thought processes. And there's been all kinds of fears. There's been a lot of these types of things. But really, if you stop and think, all that COVID and all the election and the turmoil in our country, all of that stuff is not causing you and I to act ugly, sin, be angry, or or, or be spiteful towards other people. It's just giving us an opportunity to do so. And it's revealed a lot of things. In fact, I I was telling a group of pastors here recently that I really feel like the church in general has been exposed through the last year. And I wanna share with you, and when I mean the church, I don't mean just our church, but the church in general, but it certainly includes us as well. 
Let me, let, me, let me explain what I think has been exposed. First of all, I think there has been some good things that we've seen, especially from this congregation over the last year. Let me, encur- let me share that with you. First of all, I've been encouraged by the generous giving of this church. I've, I've already known that this church is ama- has amazing givers in it, incredibly faithful, but you've just shown up and shown out all the more. I've never had so many people in one year of ministry come to me, text me, email me, or call me, or swing by and say, hey, if you know somebody in true, genuine need, please let me know. I wanna be able to meet that need. And when that need came up, I had people immediately meet it. And I've had more people uh, volunteer to be able to give in that way over the last year than I did the previous 25 years of ministry. It's been amazing. And not only that, but and it's not only in specific needs, it's even in our own giving. I don't know if you've been monitoring uh, the, the, the offering over the last year, but more was given over the last year than the previous 30 or so years of our church's history. And that's many times when our church hasn't even been able to come together and to be able to meet and people were still faithful to give online or to come by or to be able to mail it. I've been so encouraged by the giving heart of God's people. And what is it showing? It is showing the giving, the giving heart that each person has, which is evidence of a regenerated heart. And people have not only been given financially, but they've been caring for one another. When people get covid Families have been very, very quick to, to respond to them, to try to minister to them, to try to come around them. I know it did for my family and it did for many of you. People were willing to be able to come and to be able to cook meals. You always know because they're kind of like covered from head to toe, like in saran wrap, and they're the ones that are dropping something off at your door because they don't want it. And, and they drop it off. And then they're also willing to pick up groceries and be able to bring it. We've seen the church being the church over this period, and it has shown evidence and revealed what is truly in the hearts of our people. They're giving, caring, people as the church ought to be. I've also been really encouraged, me personally, and I know the rest of the pastors of the church, with your, with your patience. It has been tough. Look, I've never, we've never led a church through a pandemic before. We, we just never did. We didn't have a book on it, all right? I mean, we got the Bible, but we didn't really know exactly what we should do. And I know that we made decisions that ticked you off. Some of you let me know, but some of you did not let me know. Some of you have been unbelievable. And here's the thing, even the people that I know that has disagreed, they've been immensely gracious and merciful as we keep trying to figure out this whole thing as we've gone around. And for that, I'm so grateful. What does it show? It shows the patience, the long suffering, the mercy of the heart of people who've truly been regenerated by God. I've also seen the faithfulness to share the gospel. We've seen actually an increase in salvations and baptism, especially amongst our young people like we saw today. And what that makes me know is that parents are redeeming the time. They are taking the opportunity that their kids are at home all the more to be able to share the truth of the gospel with their own children. Praise God for that. And it shows, again, the evidence of people being truly born again and regenerated. And I could go on and on with all of these wonderful, amazing things. Well done, church. It gives me confidence that we have truly regenerate believers as in this church body. And as good as all as that is, there's still room for improvement. In the same way that this is exposed, that that, that the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, it is also revealed that there is still remain sin that still remains within us. I want to give you a list of those right now, if I may. First of all, the church has been exposed by being more fearful of possibly losing religious liberties 
than being faithful to use them for God's glory. You hear a lot of people, oh no, man, they're going to shut us down. They're going to shut us down in a church. They're going to make it illegal to read the Bible. They're, they're going to, they're, you know, we're not going to be able to gather together. Preaching is going to be illegal. I hope you have a fallback plan. I hope you know this is all that's going to happen. And you keep hearing, and people are angry because they're going to, they're going to, they're going to lose their rights when all the time I quickly ask them, are you even using the rights that you're so feared of losing? Are you assembling with God's people? Are you sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you in the word at all? So don't fear about losing them. Do them. Do them. Be, be obedient to what God has called you to do. And somebody says, well, Pastor Mike, well, let's just be clear. Let's go ahead and just make a deal right now. Say, reading the Bible is illegal. And you can almost see it one day. Well, that, right now, they're blaming everything in the country on Christians. I hope you know that. They're saying that what's happening is because the indoctrination of people who are, who, are, who are teaching the word of God, I hope you understand that this is coming. Everything in the book of Revelation is, about, is, is going to happen. It's not about to happen. It's just going to happen. You get it? Don't, don't go and tweet, Mike said everything in Revelation is about to happen. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's the word of God. It's, it's ultimately going to happen. So here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to free, have freedom of speech. You're not going to be able to share the gospel one day. Uh, most likely, uh, churches will very well possibly be shut down. So just say if we lose all of those uh, religious benefits, then what do we do? We still gather we still share the gospel. We still pray. We still read the word of God. Why? Because God is our God in this country is not our God. Do you understand? He, he rules over all sovereignly. So you know what that means? And you say, but what happens if it's illegal? Then all of us begin a new ministry, a new prison ministry, and where the mayots come and begin to train us. All right? <laughs> That's what begins to happen. Deal? All right. Number two. The church has been exposed by allowing anger for the lost to eclipse their love for them. I, I want you guys to really pay attention to the words, remember words that are coming out of our mouth and how sickened people are by a lost world. Does that even make sense? I'm really, really heavy burden right now because the people who are unregenerate, who are lost, they are actually acting like lost people. I'm very offended by this and very, very concerned. Well, you should be. It's what we do when we're lost. You did it when you were lost as well. And what's happening is people just seem to be so angry at a lost world that what's happening is very clearly their anger towards a lost world has superseded their love for them and understanding that the way that they are acting is because we were in the same exact place because they have not met our Savior and they have not been changed from the inside out. This brings us to the third thing. The church has been exposed by spending more time condemning a lost world than spending time teaching them how to escape condemnation. A lost world is condemned already. You don't need to tell it how condemned it is. What we need to do is show love to the lost world and say, bro, we're condemned because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not suggesting don't step back on what is right and wrong. The God, God uses the law to show us our need for Jesus Christ. But you need to sound as though you're more concerned and more energy and more love is being placed in the fact that they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ than the fact that you're just constantly condemning them. Here's another one. The church has been exposed by elevating one's political affiliation as a determination of Christian fellowship rather than the completed work of Jesus Christ. 
I don't care how you voted in this last election. Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green Party. Some of you I know you wrote my name in. I appreciate that. <laughs> As president, all of that. If you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're my brother and sister in Christ. And what's happening too much is people are getting confused of what is their allegiance to God and what is ultimately allegiance to a country. I love our country. I love being a part of it. I, I love the rights that we have. I praise God for the freedoms that we ultimately have. But my allegiance to Jesus Christ supersedes all of that and does for every true believer in Jesus Christ. And what happens is people begin to get so angry with each other. We have Republicans and we have Democrats. And what's beginning to happen is they begin to get so angry with each other. They're so mad at each other. How can you do that? I want to explain something to you. Believers that have voted both ways are voting because that is their conviction of what they believe the word of God says. Both are arguing that. And oftentimes one group can't understand how the other one's doing it. So what they begin to do is they go to social media, which really solves all of our ills, doesn't it? This person believes this, I can't believe it. And they're saying stuff and what they're doing is just adding more gas on the fire. Here's how the believers in Jesus Christ ought to deal with it. You have a problem with your brother and sister, go to them, let's talk about this. Hey, I, I know that this is your view. Can you talk to me a little bit more about why you'd vote that way and why you would do that? And then at the end of the day, maybe God would bring you to a conclusion of what truth is. Maybe you're still going to agree, but guess what you do? You say, brother and sister, we may disagree on some of these things, but you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have as well. What we have in common is both of us were in Adam and now both of us are in Jesus Christ. That's good enough for me. Let me give you another one. The church has been exposed by showing a greater faith in who is resisting or who is residing in the White House than who is ruling on the throne in heaven. Some of you rejoiced when Donald Trump became president. Some of you anguished and wallowed in mourning when he became president. When Joe Biden was elected, some of you mourned and some of you celebrated. The problem with a lot of people is they sit back and they think, oh no, my, my political candidate wasn't, didn't get, you know, it wasn't elected, now all hope is lost. If God is only control when things seem to go your way and the things you want them to be, then you don't know our God. He is a sovereign God over all things. Do you know who got elected president this last time? The one who God foreordained to be elected in this presidential season. God is still in control. You sit there and go, but aren't you concerned about things? See, this is, I finally figured out why everybody's so mad at me. I get, not everybody, two of you are not. Uh, why some people are so mad at me. I finally figured out, I couldn't understand why, why so many people were like mad at me. And here's what it is. They're angry with me because I'm not as afraid as they are. And here's what they chalk it up to, because I'm an idiot. Because I don't know as much as what they do. If I knew what they knew, if they knew what they knew, because they have a certain outlet of news that I don't watch, if you knew what I knew, you'd be scared too. And I'm angry at you because right now you're not scared. And I have to tell you, I'm not scared. Am I well aware of what's going on? I'm well aware of what's going on. This whole world is going to its end 
And when it does, Jesus Christ is going to take the title deed of the earth and he is going to come and he is going to rule and reign and everything that is upside down, he's going to put right side up. It's what's going to happen. And the reason I'm not fearful is because, yes, God is in control. And when I say God is in control, listen to me for a second. Lots of times we use that just to appease everybody, calm everybody down, and it's really code for God's really gonna make sure that you have enough money in the bank, that your car's okay, and that you keep your job. That's what we mean when everything is gonna be okay. That's not what I mean at all. What I mean is my goal in obedience to God is not to try to get God to secure my bank account. That's using God, that's not worshiping him. The reason that you and I obey is we obey no matter what the consequence is, no matter what the outcome is. That's why when you go and vote, you vote your conscience. Whatever ends up happening, I don't sit around worried and biting my fingernails the whole time. Why? It's because even though I did what was right, God is gonna be glorified in me being obedient to him. I'm gonna leave the results and the consequences up to him. I'm not gonna worry about those things. And God's calling you not to worry about those either. Let you and I make a pact today. Can we do this? You and I, you and I are just gonna seek to be obedient to God and whatever it is, and we're gonna leave everybody else in the world to worry about it. We're just gonna trust that God is ultimately in control, but we will do what God has called us to do and be obedient in all that he's called us to be obedient. Can we agree on that? So that's, that's what I think we need to work on, things that our hearts have ultimately been exposed. And let me finish out with this. How do we do this? Well, let me go to the, very, the, to the second illustration of Jesus here, the second parable. Uh, we went from, from fruit bearing to now to foundation building. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? So apparently, it's not just our generations that's struggling with doing what Jesus is telling them to do. We're just listening to it. Apparently, the same thing happened was when Jesus himself was teaching. He just started his teaching ministry, and he goes, why do you not do what I'm telling you to do? And then in, in, in order to encourage his original audience and us to do it, he says this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does it, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not, sh- it, and could not shake it because it had been built, it, it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them It is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Here's what he says. Anybody who builds their life on the word of God and the teaching of God's word, not only listening to it, but doing it and putting it into practice. When the storms come, when COVID-19 comes, when political strife happens, when an election happens, full of all of this trials and difficulties and heat and dissension and all this other kind of stuff, the person who has done all of that place their faith in the word of God. They know the word of God. They've, they've worked with it. They've allowed it to change their life. They've repented of sin that it's exposed in their life. They've died to self day after day after day. That person is not shaken in the midst of all of it. But the person who builds their house not on the rock, 
In other words, the person who's not taking their Christian walk seriously, the person who, who, who sits there and just wants to come, just kind of sits somewhere and just sits there and says, I'm never really going to study, never really going to pray. Uh, I'm really never going to do any of these things. I just want you to spoon feed me. I want you just to tell me something that's nice. Give me five points to a better life. If you'll do that, that's great. He says, they're going to be shaken to the core because their life is not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. I had somebody say, uh, several actually people, and, um, and I love every one of them, just what you deal with on a day-to-day basis, but had somebody even two weeks ago come up to me and go, don't you understand what's going on in this world? I said, I, I, I think so. He goes, well, why aren't you preparing us? Why aren't you preparing us? Why aren't you getting, you need to prepare us. Now, they meant it in the most loving way, I, I assure you, in the most loving way. Why aren't you preparing us? You need to prepare us for a time like this, for all that's going on. When are you gonna give us specific instructions on what we're ultimately supposed to do? And I said, I thought that's what I was doing for 16 years. <laughs> I clearly have missed my calling. I was wrestling, insurance, ministry, insurance, ministry. It should have been insurance for 16 years. It would have been more productive, clearly. This is why we're seeking to grow deep in the word of God when we come. It's why so much time is spent in the word of God, unpacking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, understanding what God is doing, repenting of sin, placing our faith in him, dying to self, follow after him. Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. This is what we're seeking to be able to do. It's why we have a one-on-one discipleship that will take you for a period of months to be able to teach you how to study the word, how to pray, how to, how to be active, how to use your spiritual gifts within the church. It's why we've had all these other classes of systematic theology. It's why we've had world religions. It's why we have in providing all these other classes. Why? So we can dig deep. We can learn and we can obey what God is calling us to do so that when more storms and more storms are coming, you and I are not shaken. We're not shaken. We need to love one another. We need to care for one another. We need to be unified in the person of Jesus Christ. But the way that we are unified is by you and I knowing the word and submitting to it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for our time that we've had together this morning. And God, here, just like in your summer, it's a time of response. It's time for us to respond, Lord, for some of us to be able to, like some of it is rejoicing. God, thank you that you have, uh, you've shown evidence of your work in us by giving us new hearts and the love and the care that we've shown for one another. Thank you, God. You get the glory for that. But God, there is still more, more work to be done in our own hearts. God, there are things that we've been doing as we've listed here that is not consistent with a believer in Jesus Christ. Some of us need to repent from that, turn from that. Some have been so shaken God, I pray that they will get into the word of God. They will allow you to change them. And even though the world may be going crazy, and I agree that it's continuing to go crazy, God, there is work left for us to do. Let each individual today sit there and say, God, I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna leave the consequences up to you, whatever your will be, but God, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna be a faithful witness. I'm gonna die to self. I'm gonna make you known. God, we're gonna get to work while we still have opportunity. God, then there are some, of course, today that, Lord, they just don't know you. They just don't know you as their Lord and Savior. 
God, they're afraid because they don't know the peace of God. God, I pray that today will be a day of salvation in their heart. Lord, help us to respond in faith to what you've shared with us this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together and respond. Take a few moments to respond.